0: Have you ever wondered how to tweak your pricing so that more customers will buy? If you raise your prices, would your sales decrease? Not necessarily. Today, we talk with Amazon best selling author Alan Langer about pricing strategy and how to sell more by selling less. Welcome to the Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday Habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday. Ben. Mark. (laughs) <laughs> I'm excited to wrap this conversation up. Uh, last week's episode was really interesting. I know a lot of people struggle with pricing and and the psychology of numbers and selling and all these kind of things that are really difficult. And Alan has done such a great job of explaining a lot of these things to us. So I'm excited to wrap up this conversation and you're going to enjoy it. That's super helpful when
1: it comes to all the pricing stuff. I would love to kind of shift the conversation and just talk more generally about sales Mhm. So uh, on our team right now I'm the primary salesperson. I don't I don't think of myself as that, but I'm realizing more and more it doesn't make sense for me to deny that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm mm-hmm. selling even if <laughs> if I think oh I'm just you know I'm building relationships you know. But So I've been trying to think through a lot of stuff because I'm systemizing my business and I've removed myself from most day-to-day work other than the sales process. And I feel like lots of times that's one of the hardest things to remove yourself from, you know, especially when it comes to a creative agency, if you founded it and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to kind of develop my own sales philosophy and kind of put into words the things that I'm doing, things about like, you know, helping people make a decision in presenting like what we do as a solution to their problem instead of just selling to them. So right. I don't know, are there some philosophies that you could tell us about that will help us even uh, solidify how we do our sales and also train other people in our company so that we can teach them how to, to do sales for us in the future? Well, let me
2: answer that with a, with a question for you. So what is, do you have a specific philosophy or uh, formula that you use or you kind of just... Uh, keep it conversational
1: and, and see what happens. So uh, I do, uh, but it, uh, yeah, so there's a few things. So most of our projects um, are uh, pretty quick turnaround. We build on Squarespace. Most of the websites we build, we build in one day. So we have three different packages. One's at 4,800, one's at 7,800, one's at 10,800 right now. That's kind Which of Which are all price.
0: changing to add nines and <laughs> sevens. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep, um,
1: exactly. And it sounds like I should probably move that middle package up a little bit. But Absolutely, anyway, yeah. so I'm, I'm taking notes. Um, When I get into a meeting, it's actually a very quick sales cycle because we get into a meeting and I discover about 15 minutes, 20 minutes with a client. And then I spend about 10 minutes presenting our process, which is very simple to follow. And then it gets down and I can give pricing right away, which is an advantage we have. So it's not something they have to wait around for a proposal. I can say exactly which package works now. And then by the end of the call, what we're talking about is when to do it, not whether to do it. Uh, In some cases, I don't push people into it, but I guide the conversation toward, okay, cool, this is great. Now, what timeline are you thinking about? So I get them to that point. So my strategy in a call is to build trust with them you know, by adding value in that call, giving as much free advice as I can about things and be not holding anything back. So building trust with them. I try to make them laugh in the first meeting. If I can't get them to laugh in the first meeting, it makes me nervous that they may not be a good fit for our team. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, because I want to work with people that I enjoy working with and have a sense of humor and that kind of stuff. I do some other things like discover as much as I can. And then I talk about what we do in context of how it fixes their problem, not just in general about our process, but I relate it back to the things they said. So those are some of the things that I do. I don't know if it's really a philosophy, but those are just some things I've picked up along the way to kind of help mm-hmm. guide people.
2: And when you're talking, is this uh, obviously now with COVID, is this all, are these
1: all Zoom calls? Yeah. And it's actually been that way for years. We've almost always done stuff for people all over the US. So th- it's pretty normal for us to do most of our projects remotely. Yeah. So
2: that would be the the first thing for people listening is, is get away from the, the cell phone and, and get on a zoom call. I, this is obviously COVID has changed the world, but I, I think for the better in business, you want to be face to face, even if they are across the country, because you want to see their reactions. You want to see how they're, they're nodding or they're listening to you or, you know, not texting while you're, while you're on the phone <laughs> with them. So your, your your approach is a good one because it doesn't sound like it's it's a hard sell at all, and you're kind of guiding them. You're you you're, you're trying to solve their problems, asking them questions and things like that. There are certain. So here here's another question: How many do you do you on the first call are people saying yes or no, or, the, or are you going to a second call at that
1: point? Pretty much on the first call, people will either say um, yes or no. And We don't usually get no's on the first call unless I kind of say like, hey, I don't think you're a good fit for us because the platform we use or your site's too big or just right. there may be some qualifying thing. I'll just kind of guide them and give them a different option to work with mm-hmm. someone else. Usually people are like, hey, let me talk to my team about it. You know, it, it's I'd say it's 50-50. Some people are like, hey, let's book a date right now. Let's pick the the time, date, all that yep, stuff. And yep. at the end of the call, we're done. We send them invoice and it's good to go. And then maybe about half are like, cool, let me get back to you on it.
2: Yeah. So the the interesting thing, and and this is usually B2B. I'm am assuming you're not dealing yes. with uh, you know, individuals. The B2B sale, when they say let me get back to you. Usually means they're, they're not the decision maker or they're afraid to make the decision because of some ramification they're going to have. If they are the decision maker and they're saying, let me get back to you, they're nervous about send, spending the money. So that's a normal knee-jerk reaction to a, a typical consumer will say, let me think about it. Or when you walk up to someone in the store and say, can I help you? You say, oh, no, I'm just looking. Right. It's knee-jerk. It's like, there's no thought behind it. It's just, it's the same thing. Like you aren't, they're on, they know they're on a sales call. They know at the end, you're going to ask them, all right, should we get going or should we plan a date? And without thinking, they're going to say, "Well, let, let me just get back to you," because the anxiety there is spending the money. So if that happens and you smell that, that you're actually talking to the owner of the company, you can actually say, uh, "Well, is, is there anything else I can help you with?" Mm-hmm. You know, to, to relieve some of the anxiety you might be feeling right now. I, I call them out on the anxiety because it, if you normalize it, it's okay. Like I'll, I'll joke with people and say, "Now, I know you're going to feel anxious because you know to do anything, you got to spend some money," but. You know, remember what we just talked about. This is going to help you increase your business. So don't let the anxiety kind of make you make your decision. You know, feel the anxiety that's going to be there, but think about how everything's going to help you. What we just spoke about, and when do you want to get started? You know, what date do you want to put on a calendar to get this thing ready? So if you kind of acknowledge the anxiety, it kind of relaxes them a little bit hmm. because they don't realize that they're doing it. They don't real. You, how many times you, you can go back to? All these examples, you can go back to your to your own person. You can see, you've said, all right, let me get back to you. And then you hang up yeah. the phone. You're like, why did I say that?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Be like, I should have just, I, I kind of really want this. Why did I tell them? And then you got to, you know, and you feel like you're embarrassed. And you, so it's just acknowledge that anxiety. So if that happens, do that. There are other ways to make a customer feel comfortable when you're on a call with them or obviously, hopefully, when we get back to face-to-face. And that's what I call social proof. And this is a whole chapter in my book. And again, you'll see this online a lot where, uh, again, the retail industry is, is obviously brilliant in pricing. Uh, so many studies and, and tests have been done. But social proof is making people feel comfortable for purchasing something that another group like themselves purchased. So for example, if you are talking to a nail salon about doing a website, you're not going to talk about the car dealerships you did websites for. You're going to talk about the nail salons you did websites for. It's just, it doesn't, you know, it's like, duh, of course, but it's amazing how many people don't do that. They'll say, well, I have, you know, I've done 15 websites for car dealerships. That's not going to make me feel connected. Say I did 15 websites for nail salons in the greater Los Angeles area and they're in the greater Los Angeles area. Guess what? I feel a lot more comfortable going doing business with you because you've done that. But not only because you've done it, because other nail salons have done it. Because I'm a nail salon. Right. So you'll see you'll see online when, when they do the pricing in three, they usually have like a, a, a highlight saying most people chose this one. Hmm. That's social proof at work. That's the website saying we're guiding you here because other people have done it. And Damn it! You're gonna see. How many times do you don't you? You always select that one, uh-huh. right? <laughs> when, when you're booking a hotel room, little thing pops up. Joe in you know Albuquerque, New Mexico just booked this hotel room five minutes ago. It, yeah. It's social proof. It makes you feel more comfortable. So those are those are two pretty big big things to use uh, when you're talking with somebody.
1: Yeah, that's really good. Uh, one one thing I do um, after I've kind of mentioned, like, I don't ask directly like how do you feel about the budget or the price? But right after I mentioned a few things ending with the price, I do ask, hey, do you have any questions or concerns about any of that? Because then I can get feedback. If, if I told them a package and they're like, oh, you know what? I actually do have a question or a concern about this because this is outside of my budget. If I was going for the middle package because I thought that was the best fit for them, mm-hmm. they can say, Oh, you know what? Actually, that's kind of outside of our price range. Do you have any other options? You know, And then I can be like, okay, yeah, we do. We have this, this lower option. Here's what the trade-offs are. You know, Here's what you sacrifice. But hey, if you want to put in some of your own content, we can teach you how to do that. So if we just provide a little training, you'll be responsible for a little bit more of the project. So it's kind of giving the option like time versus money, what's more important to them. And mm-hmm. so I try to ask for that feedback in the call because if I send them a proposal it's a little bit harder to get that feedback. I just send it to them and it's kind of like, I don't know what they're thinking or if it was too high of a price or it didn't, they didn't, I spelled something wrong, you know, or whatever it was. So is that a good thing to do? Like ask for feedback in the call or is that tricky to do or what's your thought on that?
2: No, I always, you're always asking for feedback. You know, I always like, you know, how do you feel about that so far? How does this sound? Is this what you're thinking? Um, It's, it's sometimes people are afraid to sometimes ask what a person's budget is because they feel like they're fishing and then the person feels like, well, if I tell him my budget's five thousand, he's gonna right. give me a price for five thousand. Right. But once you build trust and you can you can say, listen, um, you know, what are you thinking about for a budget here? I'm not asking this to 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 give you my price. I'm asking so I can give you the right package. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's a good way to build trust. You know, it's just a different way to rephr- to phrase the question. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I really like that. That's that's good because I, I use that a lot because I always like to understand you know how much money someone has to work with because we may not be a good fit for them right you know we, we may be out way outside of their budget so if they're like well i was hoping to spend you know five to eight thousand dollars right then i could say all right well i have the right package that we can put together that will fit within that budget so i like that right and and hundred percent of the time, they're going to give you a number
2: that's less than their budget. They're, they're always going to have right. they going to have some room in there. So then you can say, okay, you know, if if they say ah, I'm thinking about spending five grand, and you know that the package for seventy five hundred is going to is going to work with them, you can then say, you know, listen, I know your budget's five thousand, but I think this, if if you can squeeze a little more, this will work better for you. But if not, we can definitely get something done for you and within your budget. Yeah. So that that's a way to uh, to do that. But you you always want to say you know i'm not asking to set my price i'm asking to to come up with the right package for you is a really good way to put it now here's something else and again this is going to be product or service specific but this is a huge huge thing to do in pricing that will almost 100% of the time get you the client you want the client to build the price of the package themselves like all a cart or something like that? Yeah. So let's go, go to the car dealerships right now. When you buy a car right now, you go on the website and you build your own car, right? Yeah. When did you ever do that before in the world? You know, five years mm-hmm. ago, not even five years ago, three years ago, you'd go to the car dealership sweating, hoping you weren't upselled and pressured and all that stuff. Now you literally build your car to the, to the knobs on your radio. And then you walk in with your sheet of paper and said, here's my car. And this is how much it is. You bought the car. The, the salesman doesn't have to do anything. If you can do that with your product or service. When I was in the, in the window and door selling days for Anderson, my favorite program, my favorite software we had was an entry door program. And, and literally, I would have my iPad and I would flip it around to the customer. And I'm like, let's design your entry door. And they would sit there and they'd pick the color, the glass, the hardware, the, the sh- everything. They would pick it all. And on the bottom, the price was there. The price was always there. So they're like, oh my God, that's an $8,000 entry door. How do I get that lower? I'm like, well, you can go to this glass. And they'd pick it and go to 6000 So now they're feeling better and they're building the door. At the end of the day, when they hit save, the $6,800 price was their price. They bought mm-hmm. the door. I didn't have to do anything.
1: Mm. Right. They chose that.
2: Yeah. So the reps that actually, see so you get a lot of reps who, who have similar software, and they'll build the, the the product for the customer. They'll sit there and say, "Okay, let me make your door red. Let me make this hardware." Customer's not doing anything, and then they flip it around and say, "Your door is 6,800." The customer's going to go, "Oh my God, 6,800!" Yeah, because they had nothing to do with building the price. They don't own it. Right. So if you have a, if you can take, figure out your product or service where you can have the customer choose the options one by one show the price as they're choosing the op- options, sort of a la carte. At the end of that, that's what they chose, and hmm. they're done. They're, they're, they're your client. They, they bought your product
1: or service. That's really cool. I feel like for Mark, that might be interesting for you since you do a retainer-based model. If you kind of said like, oh, this service per month is this amount and this service per month,
0: then you can kind of build a package with your clients. Yeah. Ben, can you create some sort of plugin to where that we can have prices (laughs) attached to services and then they could build their own little like. It wouldn't be that hard. Yeah, it could be done for sure.
2: Yeah. And and when, and when they're building and make sure the price is at the bottom and then they can adjust the price, they can say, Oh, you know what? Um, I don't really want to spend 10 grand, but if I choose this, Oh, it goes down to, to 8,900. That makes me feel better. Mm. That's it. They chose that. You didn't talk them
0: into it. So what are your thoughts about showing the price? You know, like say you have these three packages, do we show the price of those three packages on the website or not show the price? Yeah.
2: 100 percent of the time, if if you are able to
0: show the price up front, do
2: it. My chapter is called My Advice Show the Price. That's the that's the pricing chapter in my book. Every salesperson, not every salesperson, I shouldn't generalize. Sales <laughs> most salespeople who are who are average or you know kind of mediocre, 30, 35% closures, they're always afraid of the price. That's when they get so nervous because that's the time they have to show the price to the customer. Eliminate that from the equation. Show the price from the beginning. Again, we'll go back to when I was selling windows. An Anderson window started at $1,500. I mean, it was not a $500 window you buy off a shelf. If I walked in there and I measured a whole house and they had no idea what the price was or I didn't even price condition, and then I flip it around and say, your house is $40,000. Guess what? They're not buying the product. But if I started right away showing them, all right, now we're going to start at 1500 The initial shock is like, oh, wow, they're 1500 But then you spend time building the value behind the 1500 And then at the end, when the price is shown, there's no surprise. They're expecting it. And it's a much easier close at that point. So if you can, if if you can build your price or have the customer build the price, but if if you have static prices like Ben mentioned, Show, show them. Show them from the beginning because you need them to have time to uh, absorb the the price psychologically so they feel more comfortable. But then, you, you know, obviously, you, you can't sell anything without building the value behind it as well.
1: So it sounds like hmm. to me, in that kind of case, the website is almost doing more of the heavy lifting of building the value because you don't want to Set the price high, not show the value on the site, and then people don't ever reach out and contact you, right? So,
2: no, like for someone like you, I I would not like I don't have pricing on my website. Right. I, I I wouldn't put pricing on yours because you you know you you got to talk to the customer to find out what they what they want. What do you show on your website? Do you have certain packages that you show, or
1: yeah, we actually show three packages with with some details but not pricing because they can be so flexible with websites. I I do have three prices and it has to do partially with how much we're doing for them but also about how much time that it takes us mm-hmm. um, but we don't it, so I have a, a rough description of each one but it's not like a checklist of everything that's included it's more like hey this is great for solopreneurs this one's right. great for if you have a little bit bigger team this one's great if you have a whole board that needs to review your project or those are those types of distinctions yeah
2: and and and, and in, in that situation I like that because the, the people that are contacting you are mu- much more interested in than and they're not price shoppers like if you put right if you make your product a commodity that's what it's going to be a commodity and people are just going to show prices you're not selling a commodity you're selling a value Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so to go back to mark's question yeah you you want to show the price usually when you're in front of the customer not when you're just throwing it on a website unless you're selling a product obviously you know you're selling a widget that's how much the widget is but if you're Mm -hmm. selling a service i would really refrain from Unless it's just hard and fast pricing that doesn't change, Mm -hmm. I would not put the pricing I would would try to build the value in your packages. And then when you get in front of them, say, okay, let's build this. This is what this comes with, but it's adjustable. And then this starts here. And then if you do this, it'll go down to this or go up to that. So if your packages Mm -hmm. are adjustable, let the customer make the adjustments. Mm. And then you show the price at that point.
0: One of the things I do, I'll try to prime, you know, in a meeting to say, you know, we have prices anywhere from, you know, 8,000 to 15,000, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of get, see what their reaction is to that, you know. And if they're like, oh, okay, then I'm like, okay, now we can start to build something around there, um, opposed to just not getting them any of that information and then them kind of being shocked when it's like, oh,
2: yeah, you 15, definitely have five. to. You know, the the they, the the term is called price conditioning. It's a it's a sales term. It's it's used way too much, but it's basically it's anchoring. There's there's different terminologies, psychological, but you you basically anchor pricing in a person's head so they're not surprised by the real price. So, for example, mm-hmm. you know, um, some questions. And again, this is going to you know, then we get the personality of customers and everything. But depending on who you're in front of. You know, you can ask Ben. Do you do you expect a website to be more than fifteen thousand or less than fifteen thousand? You can ask that to the customer, and the customer mm-hmm. will give you their honest answer. They'll say, yeah, I would expect it to be less," but fifteen thousand is anchored in their head as a number. Now, when you come in at ten eight, wow, you sound good. Coming mm-hmm. at seventy eight, you sound good. So, if you anchor a higher number in a, in someone's head. It's not like they're expecting that, but it's just sitting there psychologically.
1: As a comparison.
2: As a comparison. So I would do, you know, when I would walk in, if the customer was, you know, again, it depends on the customer if you can ask that type of question and you'll you'll realize that. Mm-hmm. I would say, do you expect the window to be more more than 3,000 or less than 3,000? Old days, they always say, well, I hope it's less than 3,000, but 3,000 mm-hmm. is anchored in their head now. Right. And when it came in at 15, 18, 1900, it just felt better. You know, it's like the old retail saying, how do you sell a $10,000 watch? So you put it next to a $2,500 watch.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, that's interesting. So I I feel like we're using some of these strategies without even realizing it in some ways. So Mm -hmm. for us, we don't put our pricing on our website, but when someone emails us before we get into a meeting, we tell them our general price range and say, hey, by the way, hey, typically our products are kind of in this range, especially when we have a high volume of leads coming in. Um, mm-hmm. So, that we're not wasting time in meetings where they definitely are not interested in, in investing that much. Yep. So, yeah, I guess that's kind of how we're filtering out some of those potential leads that are just not a good fit. You know, once they've talked to us, they've invested a little time. Because to me, it's like if we put that price on the website, then we're asking them to take a leap in like spending time meeting with us for a pretty high price without being able to prove a lot of value yet. Because I feel like Correct. when we get in a meeting, then we can really prove a lot of value and kind of the price kind of can reflect that and they're like oh well this is way better than i expected i was going to get and now i'm willing to pay more for it but if i thought i was just pushing a button getting a website then this is really expensive
2: yeah that's why when you go on wix or or any of the 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 self-made um platforms they all have Mm -hmm. this is the monthly pricing that's what it is and and you know exactly what you're getting you don't have to speak to a person but when someone's doing it for you yeah you definitely um you got to talk to them first to build the value behind your pricing uh, packages
1: that's really good. So uh, keeping all this stuff in mind, you know, we're, we're talking about all these different techniques and stuff. And obviously uh, I like what you're saying with selling with integrity. Cause some of this stuff when we start getting into, it, I feel a little nervous, like, Oh man, I feel like it, is this getting into manipulation? You know, I don't want to like manipulate people. So mm-hmm. like, where's the line there? How do you recommend people take this knowledge and use it for good, not for evil and not like manipulate people, <laughs> but be a good, like a good person and like help them match up, you know, uh, customers like what their best interest is and not use it to just take you know as much money as possible from people. Yeah.
2: So I get that question a lot and here's how I answer it because yeah. when you're dealing with psychological stuff people think it's manipulation and and I don't believe it's manipulation when you're actually dealing with the human brain if you if you if you're dealing with an elbow and the elbow does this and it, this is going to make it feel better well why would that's not manipulation that's going to make the elbow feel better if psychologically it's going to make you feel better to buy this package then why not help the person buy the package but here's the thing to keep in mind if you have a business or you're a salesperson and you and you genuinely believe you go to bed at night thinking that your product or service is going to improve their lives it's your job to actually try to get that in their hands, no matter how. I shouldn't say no matter how, but it's your job to, to, to improve their lives. And if improving their lives gives them, uh, it involves showing them a pricing structure that's going to make them feel better buying something, then you didn't manipulate them. You actually made them feel better. Because sometimes people don't want to buy things because of the the anxiety of purchasing when they really, if they did buy it, their lives would improve. Mm -hmm. So many people sit with terrible roofs on their houses because they're afraid of the pricing. Well, if you're a roofer, you want to make that customer feel the best they can buying a, a, a new roof, but they're afraid to call you because they don't want to get ripped off. So if you believe your price, you believe your product or service is going to help someone, Use all the tools that, that are out there to get them that new roof because at the end of the day, they're going to really like you and they're going to really like their new roof, as an example. Hmm.
1: Man, I feel like I learned so much today. I really appreciate you being, being on here. If you were to say like an action item that people could take you know, to get started either with uh, pricing-related stuff or sales-related stuff, what would you tell them like a first step they could take to start improving some of this stuff? Wow.
2: A lot, a lot of action items come to mind. Um, from a pricing standpoint, sit back and go, go over your stuff. Pricing is not a, an afterthought. So many mm-hmm. people think of it as an afterthought or an algorithm. Really look at your pricing uh, and how it affects people who are looking at it psychologically. Mm-hmm. You'll, just, you'll just sell more. And, and you not only sell more, but you'll have people more comfortable buying your product or service. You don't want people to buy something and then say, ah, did I spend too much money? Right. I don't know if, you know, that, that's the worst or where you get a canceled sale. You get a canceled sale because people aren't comfortable with what they just purchased for whatever reason. And it could Mm -hmm. be the price. So really take a hard look at your pricing and make it a priority rather than an afterthought. uh, and realize that, that pricing is, is 100% psychological.
1: That's good. And where can people follow you? Where they can, can they buy your book? hire you for speaking coaching that kind of stuff hire me yes hire me no um they can go (laughs) to my
2: website which is al
1: langer.com so it's uh it's a
2: l and then l-a-n-g-e-r so al langer.com and on there you can get uh, there's a link to get my book uh you can also find me on linkedin uh under alan langer uh two l's and an a and um and i'm there as well send me a message and what i'd like to throw out there um Whoever's uh, listening, if they send me an email, my email is on my website, mention this podcast, I will send you a free autographed copy of my book
0: for the first three people that do that. How's that? Oh, wow. Awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. Alan, thank you so much for being on the Friday habit. You're welcome. This was great, guys. You guys are good. and This was, this was a lot of fun. Awesome. Hey, don't forget to go to the FridayHabit.com to find show notes for this episode. Uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can go uh, download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go to the
1: FridayHabit.com slash review. Then open up the Apple podcast app
0: or visit the link on our website to leave us a review. That's right. And thank you so much for listening. And as always, until next time, live every day like it's Friday.